This is Shaka Wart speak. Because did Matt use it for a little bit before you did? Uh, not really. Because I thought that there was a time where maybe he was just he was talking about it and he was like, I think I'm gonna make the studio out of this closet. No, that was that was always me. <laughs> yeah, I think Matt had the uh, was like a space in the other room. Yeah. He, oh, okay. He had the the bedroom closet for a little bit yeah. to dry. Gotcha. He like set up a table to let his paintings dry on. Right. But yeah. No, you get the space. I, <laughs> That's your space. It's serious business. Yeah. Yeah, he's got an office now. He can mind his own business. Yeah, he can, right. <laughs> he can do his own stuff. Yeah, do your own stuff, Matt. Hey, so we're already recording, is my guess. Yeah, we are. So this is Shaco Art Speak, and we've already started our podcast. As um, always. As always. <laughs> and we are with a very special ho- uh, guest. Our host is not very special. <laughs> nope, it's I'm not. It's just Gareth Blackwell. <laughs> it's me. It's <laughs> just Gareth. And I mean, at this point... If you've been listening for more than two seconds, you know what Gareth is like, and so yes. yeah. Um, but I'll let <laughs> Gareth. I'll let it. Gareth introduce our guest <laughs> since well, we, I, I made him feel bad. <laughs> no, I'm still holding bad. a grudge for when he like <laughs> got me. He corrected me <laughs> last time. Um, no, I, I don't feel bad at all. Uh, I mean, that's how I think about myself all the time. Anyway, I'm always yeah, going around. Like, this is Gareth. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've got a fantastic guest, and this is the person we've been wanting to have on for a while, and there's a very specific set of circumstances that made us uh, kind of look at each other a few weeks back and say, okay, it has to happen right now because it's perfect. So we've got Katie Becker, and she is, uh, if you don't know of her, uh, one you of the most phenomenal uh, painters I have seen in a long time. The amount of skill that comes out of her brushwork and her uh, just attention to detail is phenomenal. And we'll get into that a little bit. Um, but I wanted to talk about, I was trying to think uh, this morning, I was trying to think the first time that we met, and I am about 95% sure that it was at uh, a Friday Night Critique early in Shock Wars Space days. I feel like... It, it might have been. Because I feel like it may have been, uh, I guess, probably when you and your now husband were dating... Probably. I, I mean, because that's where I met Matt. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure I th- just I'm pretty sure that's what it was. So it's been, you know, so we're talking about early days of Shaco Art Space. Um, I guess you could even call them pre days of Shaco Art Space in some ways. Yes. Uh, the foundational sort of things. Um, the so, primordial. It's the primordial. <laughs> it's the, 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 the primordial from which Shaco Art Space. <laughs> yeah. The ooze from which. Katie's one of the OG exhibitors of of the primordial ooze gallery yes. pre Shaco Art Space. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's fantastic to have you here. And, and so uh, I guess we should talk a little bit about what really precipitated like the, we have to do this now. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, not to give too much of your business, but uh, Katie and her husband and her wonderful family are moving. And so uh, she had a studio at their old place and she posted a photo that showed her kind of packing up and moving out of her old studio. And the caption was phenomenal because it talked about how that studio shaped her practice. Um, and so I don't want to tell it for her, but that's kind of the, the thing that leads us into it. Um, so you want to start off there, Ryan? You think that's a good spot to get the conversation rolling or you got something else? Yeah, let's let's roll it and then we'll work backwards or forwards, you know, like we do. Right. Um, yeah, so I think that's a good place to start, Katie. What, what, um, what did you mean by that? <laughs> what was that? What was up with that post? Yeah. Yeah. So for the past five years, I had been working in a four foot by five foot coat closet. Yeah. In the family room. 
So a, a good size coat closet. Yeah, <laughs> but, a yeah. Burlington if, coat closet. If, yeah. that, if that doesn't hit you, like if you're listening or that doesn't hit you, like go grab, like pause the podcast, grab a tape measure and find something to, sh- to sit in a four foot by five foot space yeah. just to get the clarity yeah. of bringing that home. And to be clear, your, your work, your more recent work, which I do want to talk about as far as like the way you've worked out of the, the constraints of your life mm-hmm. seem to be a major factor in the shaping of, yes. of your work, which I think is really important or interesting. But so you're, you're a watercolorist essentially at, um, at this point, at yes. this point, at this yeah. point. Um, that's not how I knew you. I mean, I met no. you in an open drawing studio <laughs> and you were doing like pastels. Yeah. Yeah. So then I had you the drawing student yes. and you were not making anything like what you make now. I mean, you couldn't be further apart. Yeah. Like shockingly so. So uh, very loose, very like um, autom- automatic drawing, mm-hmm. you know, very organic. So it's really interesting to to talk about like this pivot point, like where you're you're actually getting ready to go into a bigger studio, a, a new space. But you've been in this like particularly four by five or whatever you said mm-hmm. foot space. So um, how did you get to that. So let's go back mm. a little bit. How did you get to that that space? Well, I did printmaking in college, so I at VCU. So I was were doing, you know, large for prints, larger format, you mm. know, printmaking, larger plates using the large etching press, things like that and um really loved it and wanted to continue, but didn't have the money to uh, you know, rent a space, didn't mm-hmm. have the money to or the space to buy my own press or anything like that and so um piddled around for a few years and then when my son was born that room we were using as a studio turned into the nursery and uh all we had left was this closet Uh (laughs) (laughs) I knew I wanted to still make work and that's kind of when things I was like okay I know I want to make work and I know that I I don't have, you know, here are my constraints. I've, I've got this closet that I can fit my drafting table into. And um, what can I do with, you know, the time that I have? And I was like, well, I've always really liked watercolor. And I know that I can get very detailed with watercolor, whereas I um, haven't been able to get as detailed as I wanted to get with the other things I had been trying to do. And so mm-hmm. I was just like, I'm going to try this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so what else working and but the work and then the work Mm -hmm. was very, it's very specific, you know? So, so, um, I guess you could, cause I I could recall doing studio visits with you and printmaking, Mm -hmm. you know, in that, that room and and seeing the way you were thinking about making, um, and then, you know, your work, you, it's like you went through a metamorphosis, you shifted Mm -hmm. in terms of what was reasonable for you or even possibly interesting. Like at some point it feels like you grew into, um, an approach. And so how did that, how did you get to the body of work that you're making? Um, that's a good question. I think just being in the neighborhood that I was in, um, being in the fan area for, I lived there for about 10 years or so Mm -hmm. and, you know, recently moved out and, uh, going on a lot of walks, spending a lot of time outside, spending a lot of time in that neighborhood and really observing the details Mm -hmm. of that neighborhood. Um, And then, I don't know, there was just something about it. I was like, I want to capture this. I want to capture this space and this feel. And 
what it's like, not, not just like the, oh, these are pretty houses or something like that, but, uh, um, more of the parts of the neighborhood that I saw that I found striking, but I knew that other people, unless you have an eye for it, perhaps you wouldn't necessarily see. So I'm talking, you know, trash cans, alleyways, Mm -hmm. um, kind of more of the dirt Mm-hmm. In the area, the grime, the, <laughs> the, Richmond, the, the, Richmond, the grime, the history grime. You're like, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> the grime that's been disappearing over the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, go for the, it. I was gonna say that's real because you know it's uh, when we moved here about ten years ago. I remember walking around the van with my wife, and like you know, there were alleyways with there was always some broken furniture mm-hmm. somewhere and some mattress laying on its side. And, it was all there. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. Things have gotten cleaned up. And I think uh, what we've gotten is like a kind of a weird polished pristineness in certain areas of the city that has its goods and its bads, mm-hmm. right? Uh, things that are positive about it, but but also that, that lose those kind of vignettes of like uh, real organic life as it kind of comes mm-hmm. together within an urban environment. Um, and I think it's fantastic the way you capture that, uh, especially because like in the fan, you think of, oh, here's some pen and ink drawings of, you know, multi-million dollar homes, you know, here's some trees and, you know, the, uh, the, the fantastic look of things down the mm-hmm. boulevard or monument or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. so it is nice the way you capture those spaces. Yeah. I mean, it, I wonder, do you think that, so in printmaking, I mean, there's like, um, tonal values mm-hmm. that you're messing with, you know, there is a process, yeah. um, do you think you were looking at the city through like that kind of eye a little bit when you're walking? Like, are you, do you think that that, like, cause you know, when you're doing like, I look, I own a few of your prints and, um, I mean, I own, I think I own like three or four of your pieces actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just wondering if, so like, I mean, I, I don't know a lot about printmaking. I was never a printmaker, but like when you're, you're pulling a print, there's, there's what you're pulling, but then there's the stuff that kicks off to the side. Mm-hmm. And you're almost sometimes drawn to the periphery stuff, yeah. the muck. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go into the printmaker studio, there's tables that are full of ink stains. And mm-hmm. and so how, how much of that sensibility do you think is kind of uh, imported into your eye as you're walking through a city, thinking about mm-hmm. what you can do next? I think that printmaking really prepared me for doing watercolor because I approached, when I first started, I approached watercolor the way that you would think about making a um, multi-plate print and not that I was ever very good at that, but just the, what I learned in school from uh, layering the colors together, um, things like that, Um, you know, starting, you start at, you know, you've got your drawing or whatever, you know, your base plate, your base layer, and then you just slowly build layer and layer and layer. Um, But watercolor just gave me so much more freedom to, uh, continue to add and add and add more layers and more detail mm-hmm. um, versus uh, you could do that with printmaking and it's it's beautiful but you know if you're gonna do like a, a lithograph like that and it's you know seven plates or something or or more um, it's that's a lot of work yeah, yeah. A, a different type of work yeah than what I do right. I, my stuff still takes up a lot of time and work but it's it's a different level of um, just a different method of working, I guess. Yeah. And so once you, once you decided yeah. that you were going to, you know, the other thing is like, there's oftentimes there's this idea of, of being very contemporary mm-hmm. in your work. And then there's 
you know, sometimes we type or stereotype mm-hmm. uh, types of work. And yeah. so there's two things that, I mean, I think if anybody's listening, you should go look at Katie's work. Oh, Katie Becker, you definitely. should look on it because that'll help give a perspective on this conversation. But so when you when you start doing things more direct to mm-hmm. your eye in a more uh, quote unquote traditional mm-hmm. way, um, things start to get tighter. Yeah. And um, but also the space is tighter. You know, so there's something really interesting about those two things. You're you're you know, you're a mom, you're married, mm-hmm. you're you're working, you're juggling a lot of of like seemingly like things variables that could seem out of your control sometimes. And so how does your identity shift allow you to like not quibble about whether this is contemporary enough? Cause I mean, you've had exhibitions, mm-hmm. you know, you sold decent amount of work at current mm-hmm. art fair. Yeah. I mean, so, so it's not like the work hasn't been received well, but there is that art school mindset. Mm-hmm. And then there is that um, post art school mindset. So could you talk a little bit about that difference? Like, or, it, or is there a difference for you? Um, there is a difference, I think. I think when I was in school, uh, just being around contemporary art and everything being pushed, you know, it needs to be conceptual. You need to push the boundaries. Um, a very, you know, like you, printmaking was the closest thing I could find to traditional work without um, being in the painting department. Um, there was a big part of me that wanted to study illustration just simply because I knew that it was more traditional techniques and I knew that's what I liked. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I think I always held myself back because I didn't feel like I was free to make the work I wanted to make, but I didn't realize that in some ways. Mm. Uh, I was so caught up in the, the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Um, and then just being, you know, graduating and then once you get some space and you're not, you're not in school anymore and you're not, uh, being so directly influenced, it, it just kind of, it gave me the freedom to um, step back and stop caring what people thought as much and just start pursuing the work that I was interested in making. Do you find that the work, so do you find that the work started to give you affirmation of what it was? Like, in other words, as you see yourself like doing certain mm-hmm. things and then you're looking at the outcomes, like you're the first sort of audience to your work is the work giving you that confirmation, that affirmation, like it's affirming you like, yes, keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Do you, did you find yourself kind of like, cause you're not appealing to anybody else to tell you, you know, it's like when you, yeah. when you're in school, you're like, Hey, yeah. you know, endless studio visits. Right. And you know, as in grad school, everything's about studio visits. I did a million independent studies in Sacramento. And so every decision you make, you're like, I gotta get some in the studio to look at this. And so you, you're so dependent upon that in some ways and it always leaves you confused. <laughs> <laughs> Very rarely did it ever leave me feeling like, sh- like yes, I should do that. It always left. The idea was always leave them having, always leave it. I feel like the assumed premise of like studio critiques is, was, maybe it's changed, but it was make sure that you leave this person questioning everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so if they see, hey, hey, you're too confident, <laughs> you need to step back and question some things. It's like, <laughs> yeah, n- nothing more helpful than a hundred different voices telling you go ahead in a hundred different ways. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you could do this. You could do that. Yeah. So, I mean, there's like a hall of voices. Like I had to, I had to really work to shed some of those voices. Like you're in your, you're in your small space and you're starting to make these watercolors that are of cobblestone and like trash cans in old Richmond homes, neighborhoods that people have been inhabited for, you know, hundreds of years however old the city is, 100 years plus, 200 years as far as like 
the neighborhood you're in. I think that I can't remember when the fan was. It's like 18. I don't know. It's like in the mid 1800s, maybe, but uh, maybe a little earlier. Um, so, you know, you're looking at this history and you're recording it in a, in a way. And then you're you're displaying a lot of what is uh, sort of transcendently wonderful to look at as far as the light, the, the history, the texture, the shape. Um, can you? So at what point are you just like green lighted? And you're like not thinking about art school anymore. Um, Cause I feel like you got yeah. to it faster than a lot of people. That's why, that's why I'm no, interested in this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, that making the work, you know, starting going from the point where I'm like this, I think I want to paint, you know, I, I think I want to paint some of these alleyways and some of these, uh, you know, scenes that I see when I'm walking around and, and, you know, some of these locations, I think I want to paint and, and record. I like how you use that word, Ryan, because I do see it as documenting and recording a, a specific moment in time. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, people, someone graffitis a wall and then six months later, someone paints over it. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the little details change. So it's it's really like a documentation process. Yeah. Um, snapshot. And. And yeah, I, I started making some of the work and, and uh, it was very satisfying to see mm-hmm. the end result. And it mm-hmm. just made me go like, okay, I think I'm going to do another one and I think I'm going to do another one. And um, and then when did it move to showing people? Like, when did you mm-hmm. kind of go like, I mean, what, what was there a necessity? Was it a fine, mm-hmm. like, were you like, I, I need to be able to make some money at this? Like, what were some yeah. of the um, drivers to go public with the work? Um, well, I do... Not as much this year, but uh, I do a lot of, you know, kind of just little things to get money on the side to pay for studio mm-hmm. supplies and stuff. So I do a lot of illustration, you know, like house portrait commission type things like that um, for people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not very glamorous, but it. I own one. I love it. it. <laughs> it, it I, I see it every day. It brings in, you know, it brings in. Think money. about that, Katie. I see it every day. <laughs> it sits in my bedroom. I wake up. And I'm like, yes. In fact, yeah, anyhow. In fact, I'm going to have to get you to do one of my, my <laughs> new, the, we have one of the house I rented. Now I'm going to need you to do one with the house I own with my lions on the front. Yeah. <laughs> my stately. Yes. <laughs> 20, 2021, I'll, yeah. I'll start accepting commissions again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let me know when that door opens yeah. and then we'll, we'll talk. I'll let people know. Yeah. Um, there'll be an announcement yeah. for sure It'll be on, huge. on social media when... <laughs> When yeah. commissions open back up. In 2021, up. they'll announce that the same day they announce who won the presidency. It'll be great. <laughs> It'll be really awesome. <laughs> a lot of announcements coming in yes. the next eight years. <laughs> so true. Yeah. But yeah, so I had a, a friend who just asked, you know, hey, do, would you mind, um, I know you've been doing some watercolor, would you mind painting a picture of um, a family member's home and I will, uh, you know, so I can give it to them as a Christmas gift. So I was like, sure, I, I can do that. And, you know, she paid me a little bit, but... Um, that kind of started it and, and just, you know, then told other people like, Hey, if you, you know, you know, paint some pictures for people, do some commissions. And I done a lot of it over the past five years. And so all, I mean, a a lot of commissions and all that work, all that practice, it's really, it's practice. It forced me to practice over and over and over and over again. Yeah. How to paint architecture and homes and bricks and, and all these little things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just I, yeah. Uh, I was just scrolling through your Instagram right now where you're talking, looking back as far as I could. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's amazing because like I mean, you can definitely tell that there is a technique and a skill. 
that has been there. But I love the fact that you're parsing it out as it's it's practice, mm-hmm. right? Because um, if you really do look closely, you can see the changes and the ways that stuff has uh, really, like, I don't know, advanced, evolved, whatever you want to say, uh, where your skills have deepened in certain mm-hmm. spaces. Um, and I don't know if this is getting off of some of the places that you want to go with this, Ryan, but uh, one question I have is, uh, so if you're, sp- you're spending this time on these snapshots, these documentation mm-hmm. uh, like spaces uh, where you're really, I mean, you know, some of the stuff, some of the detail that I see in your paintings, it's almost like, do you have like a one or two hair brush that you're using <laughs> in certain places? Because it's such extreme detail. Um, what, what has this done now for your scene outside of the studio? How has the attention to detail within a particular frame, a piece that's slowing down within that space? What has it done for the way you see the space outside? Mm, like, like just where I get inspiration. Yeah, I think uh, so. Cause you were talking about how you, uh, you know, you, you were seeing these spaces yeah. that kind of like appealed to you. Um, now do those spaces look different? Are there more spaces that appeal to you? I mean, like what is like, how has this changed the way you see the world? Um, hmm. I think, I think as I've continued to work, I'm, I I do find myself interested in different things Mm -hmm. um, and in different levels. So like right now I'm, I haven't done much of it, but I know that painting like plants and leaves and textures I'm getting really interested in, but it's also very hard, Mm -hmm. (laughs) very, very hard to do. Mm -hmm. And so I, I know that I want to do more, um, more painting of, of leaves in a way that is, or trees or leaves, you know, foliage in general, but, um, applying the same, uh, amount of intensity and detail to that, that I've applied to, you know, say cobblestones or, um, bricks or one of my brick walls are one of my favorite things to paint. Cause yeah. I figured out that process. So the, well, it's <laughs> interesting like that, in but. that is that you, you're, I guess I, what I'm intrigued by is you got four years in school, but you've got five years doing this. So like I, I, you know, I have students and friends that are trying to crack the code. And one thing that, um, is unglamorous, Mm -hmm. but I think very true that you're saying, and it just is, is practice. Yes. It's like what Alvin Iverson went on about is about talking about practice, but really true. Like you're the iteration process uh, produces, uh, uh, confidence, competency, and confidence because we become aware over and over again. And that creates a new muscle memory that you can start to rely on Mm -hmm. to exert more. And so what I love is that the, the diligence you're talking about is producing an outgrowth of, of interest that is predicated on it. So like, it's like you're moving from certain formations that have textures that you really, gain a certain level of ability Mm -hmm. to bring to bear. And that's causing you to want to look to expand that into these other forms that are maybe more inorganic by comparison, you know, but what I love about it is it seems to be connected and flowing from the work. You know, it's not, it's not like, um, it doesn't feel, uh, how do you say it? Um, scatterbrained, you know, it's not like a, it's not like a, I need to be entertained. I'm bored. It's more like a growth trajectory. Um, and so where do you, where do you see that headed for you? I mean, do you like, what are, when you think about what you're painting, Mm -hmm. one of the questions that comes to mind for me is the places where that lives. So when you think about foliage and things like that, are you thinking about formats for that kind of imagery to exist? 
Are you thinking gallery spaces? Are you thinking publications? Like, mm-hmm. you know, what, what goes into your, what is there supportive thoughts for that? So I'm, yeah, I, I think all of that, um, definitely gallery spaces. Um, there's, I definitely want to move into, and hopefully with a, a larger studio space, I will be able to do this, but I really want to do some large scale paintings, mm. you know, like 22 by 30 ish, you know, like a full mm-hmm. sheet of paper. Yeah. Um, but applying the, the same amount of detail and intensity that I've put towards some of the smaller work, you know, work that's closer to eight by 10. Um, that's kind of my sweet spot is, is work roughly around eight by 10 inches. And, uh, you know, doubling that, mm-hmm. but same level of detail. So I definitely, you know, I've got, uh, uh, studies of a sort, um, you know, a collection of studies, references, things like that, that I've, um, been curating this year. Um, and hopefully I'll be able to start working on at some point. <laughs> and so large scale stuff that I, I see in a gallery space mm-hmm. for sure. But then also, um, I think a lot of my work can, you know, I also see books too mm-hmm. of, of, you know, documenting Richmond spaces and things like that. Mm-hmm. So we have a special guest. We have our a fourth guest. This is our first time having four, you know, two guests at the table, right? So who, who's our other guest today? <laughs> This is Leo. <laughs> so Leo, how old is Leo? He's three weeks. Leo is three weeks. This has to be the youngest. Oh, yeah. He's this three. has to rival the youngest podcast um, <laughs> guest any podcast has ever had. And I like to think that because we're cutting edge, we were ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and I'm guessing also that this is why you're not opening commissions until 2021. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> this demonstrates how inclusive we are, by the way. <laughs> yeah, for real. We include everyone. Yeah. I mean, I think it's... Uh, Leo's pretty handsome. Yeah. He's a cute little kid. Um, you know, I, I love I love what you're talking about, the the wanting to kind of scale up. Because one of the things that really was uh, apparent in your post the other week was, or the other day, whatever it was, time doesn't exist anymore. Time doesn't exist anymore. It's COVID. Um, it really doesn't. COVID time. <laughs> so, um, 2020. But in the post about uh, moving out of your current studio and into a new one, uh, that really struck me is that you talked about the studio being the constraint for the work. Yes. Which is not what, like, nowhere do you ever hear that in school, <laughs> right? I mean, I never heard that from anybody. It was like, make what you make and figure out how to do it instead of it being, there will be all of these other things that kind of impact you in terms of space. And it's wonderful, like the whole idea of space just seems to permeate everything you're talking about. The spaces you inhabit uh, Mm -hmm. actually change the work that you make. Yeah. The spaces that uh, you exist in, that you walk in, actually inform what you do. Uh, The interior spaces of the frames that you are actually painting uh, are uh, influencing what you want to paint and how you want to paint. So, um, I mean, how did this even like come into your head, like, where did this idea of like the space constraints actually influencing your work? Like, why didn't you just buck against that and say, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. It's just a small space. I think I'm just practical, you know, just, just looking at things practically. It's, it's like making, making work that is large is awesome. I love, you know, that when I worked larger, I, I love being able to work large and, um, I love how your entire body is engaged when you're working larger. Um, 
but it's, it just, it, it does not make sense when, when your space is, is a closet, <laughs> you know, it, it just really, it's like that. Uh, you're, I'm going to make a four by yeah. four in this closet. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do it closet. Yeah. <laughs> you just Pollock style, just the whole floor. I'm going to make a yeah. huge sculpture in here right yeah. now. <laughs> so sick of this. Can't get it out. But <laughs> made it. People will come yeah. to my house to see it. I mean, like I've thought about like doing larger vertical drawings and then, you know, mounting, uh, you know, the, the MDF board onto the back of the door or something and working that way. But honestly, it's like, I've got a table. I just will just, you know, do what I can and, and the working smaller. And I think learning how to use a medium is also helpful mm. to, to start out with smaller studies and, um, and go up from there. And I think I mentioned in the post too, but my husband and I have always loved the Dutch cabinet painters. Um, so Vermeer has always been one of our favorite artists. And we've just always admired the amount of intensity and detail that those artists put into their work. You know, like teeny tiny little paintings, perfectly painted. Mm-hmm. We've always just really admired that. And so um, I think it was a way to to really just sort of say like, I really love this one type of art style and I'm going to, I'm going to embrace it mm-hmm. and, and I'm just going to go for it. Yeah. I love it. It's been one of my favorite things to see over the years is your, both you and Matt, like your whole trajectory as like a family working, both artists doing different things, sometimes sacrificing, definitely sacrificing things for each other and for your practice mm-hmm. at different mm-hmm. times. Yeah. Um, how, how, before we go into that, how, how like go back. So mm-hmm. we didn't do our, how did, how did you get into making art? Go back real fast. I just want to get a recap. We didn't do it our origin. We started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we, started we, we flipped midstream. the script. We started midstream. So I, I just want to. I want to pause on your trajectory and just go back and say, how in the heck did you get started? I like a lot of people. I I've always drawn. Mm-hmm. So um, I always loved drawing, and my parents were very supportive. My mom's family is very very artistic, extremely creative. Um, just about everyone has creative impulses. My aunt's actually a, a very successful artist. And so my mom knew from the beginning, um, you know, my parents kind of knew like, Hey, you, it is possible to make a living in the arts. Um, and they knew that just from like saying, we've got relatives who are artists and make a living that way. Mm. Um, so there was never any pushback from my parents about, that's great. You know, and my, you know, even extended family were always super supportive just because I think they knew, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they value the arts Mm -hmm. very much. Um, especially my extended family, very much like patrons of the arts and Mm. and stuff like that. So I just always loved drawing. And then, um, in college I was like, well, not in college, in high school, um, applied to VCU and, and, it was just sort of like, hey, if, if I get into the art school, I'll, I'll study art. And, and if they don't accept me, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Virginia Tech and I'm going to do the French program because I was That's right. You also, were serious about French. I was very I, serious about French. Oh, my gosh. French. You just jarred my memory. Yeah. Like I'm having weird <laughs> old man flashbacks. Because how long ago, when were you a freshman at VCU? Was that 2009? 2009, yeah. Oh, my gosh. You were in my 2009 <laughs> class. Yes. That was a long time ago. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. Wow. Anyhow, um, 
yeah, French somehow made sense to me with you and like your interest in art. There, there always yeah. seem to be an overlap. So <laughs> yeah, they're, they, those two interests. I do think it's interesting that we get to that place where we kind of leave it up to, to faith in some ways. We're yeah. like, we do like have this kind of like, if this, I mean, I did that. I was like, you know, if I, I'm, I said, I'm only going to go to get my MFA if I get accepted into one of the top 10 schools in the country. I just, that's arbitrary. I mean, there's great schools that are not top 10, but at that time I didn't have any way of thinking about it. So I was like, I just cast my, my wish into the air and, and if it comes back, yes. <laughs> do you, do you want to go, do you want to go out with me? Check yes <laughs> or check no. <laughs> and a couple of schools said yes, you know, and you're like, okay, you want to go out with me? That means we'll make art. Like yeah. it's that, it's not crazy that it's, it's that. It was that simple. It was, yeah. it was like, all right, well, I, I got accepted to the art school, so this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I just didn't look back. I still got my French degree, but yeah, <laughs> I don't I mean, remember how to speak any of it. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I mean, you talked about, you know, you said your, some of your choices uh, in your studio came from the fact that you're practical. And, and I, it's, it's, it's so refreshing to just hear, like, a sense of practicality. And I think maybe some of it is I get a little jaded from uh, some of the people I talk to sometimes, I think, where it's all, like, very... Uh, like ethereal and like out there and not mm. grounded in something. But I think there's a huge reality to the the practice that we're all in that like the longevity of uh, your career in the arts, I think does correspond at some level with a sense of practicality mm. about it. Right. Yeah. Because as life changes and things go on, like it's always good to be able to adapt to those and make those changes so that you don't have to leave something behind, but you can keep it going in whatever form it is. And that's, this is nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, there's a million ways to go at it, and I think sometimes the practical road is is not expressed enough, and it leaves a lot of people curious because they may have similar leanings, and you don't oh, yeah. see that story depicted well enough. Um, you know, so I, and I'm curious too. I mean, like, I mean, you're here. You know, you're mom of three. Mm-hmm. Good night. Um, I have three. You know, with my wife, and Gareth has. Two and a half. Two and a half. One's coming <laughs> on the way. So Garrett's about to enter that world too. Yeah. Um, how has how has being married and being a mom of three, how do you do it? I'm sure there's got to be some listeners that are like, how in the world is she doing that? <laughs> yeah, because it sounds like you already got 10 balls in the air. That you're yeah. And let me just say. <laughs> how do you throw another one in? Cyrus is her oldest son. I, I He makes me smile whenever I see him. He yeah. is never not in motion. But not only that, he can cover more ground faster than anybody else I know. Yeah. He can jump. Like he he bounds into a room. Like triple step. It's amazing. Am I right? Like he really I'm like if there's that old athlete in me that's like that kid's an athlete. Oh yes. That kid is such a he's a he's a gymnast or a track athlete track in my and mind. Field. Track and field. He's yeah. a track he's a triple jumper. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, so you so you're dealing with an Olympic athlete at, at what age? He'll be five. Yeah, he's a, he's yeah, a he's f- five. five-year-old Olympic athlete. Um, and uh, <laughs> so how are you doing that <laughs> with a three-week-old? Uh, he's, yeah, so <laughs> my oldest is so energetic. <laughs> yeah. It kind of drives, um, kind of drives us crazy sometimes. We love him, but it is, it's a lot of energy. Um, so nap times. I'm pretty strict about nap time. You will take your nap. Like, I don't, you got to go in your room and I don't care. Like, just uh, play quietly with some toys or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so nap time is is a big one. And I've been really lucky to have kids who um, 
who are take pretty good naps. So yeah. that's always given me a, a good, um, you know, couple hours or so. And then, um, normally now this is, it, I, it, it goes in seasons. Um, so pregnancy, I'm not doing this, but, um, early mornings too. I wake up early when I can. And that hasn't happened much this year because I just had a baby. So, you know, being pregnant, I'm like, I can't, yeah, you know, totally. there's oh, yeah. different seasons for different things. And, but normally, yeah, like early mornings are another good time to try to squeeze in an hour to two hours of work. So one thing I'm also interested in is what you're not saying is you're waiting to be inspired. You're like, no. I have time. I don't, I just, whatever emotional state you're in, you, you go in and you work. Yeah. It's, I, I was texting with a friend the other day and, and just, um, with everything that's been going on, I've taken a little bit of a break from the studio and just being like, I've got, I still have some things I need to finish. And even if I don't feel necessarily like I want to go in and paint, um, I still need to, it's not about whether you feel like it or not. Um, you have a job to do, you need to do it. And it, that's just the way it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not all, oh, it's not all puppies and rainbows. And, and I feel like a lot of times, uh, there's this idea that, oh, I need to be inspired or I need to be in the mood in order to make work. And that's not, that's not the case. If you want to make, if, if you want to be serious about making work, you, you just, you need to find a time and you need to go in the studio and you need to make work. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you need to draw or whatever it is that you do um, for your studio practice. You, you, you just need to do the work and you're not, there's a lot of, a lot of times that I, I just, I don't feel like doing the work. Uh, the painting that I do, it's, it's very detailed. It's very technical. And sometimes it's like, I don't, it, this is, this is hard. You know? <laughs> do you ever just want to go Pollock and start splashing paint around? Or are you ever like, I'm just going to splash paint? Today. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I look at, um, I look at artists who, who don't do, um, work that's, like mine, you know, that's, uh, you know, maybe more abstract or, or mm-hmm. things like that. And I'm like, I'm jealous because it looks like you're having fun. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes That's so funny because people look at your work and go, I bet you she's having so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, dude, I, I look at your stuff, Katie. And the first thing I think every time, it, it always is in this progression. I look at him and I say, well, is this a photograph? Uh, no, oh, no, this is a watercolor that Katie did. <laughs> And then my second thought is, my gosh, that must be so incredibly relaxing to be able to put that sort of intensity into the work. You know, like it just it just feels like it's like a mind palace you go into. And I don't know. I'm just projecting that on you, I guess, of my desire to have. So you're proving my point happens. when we're not the one doing it. We're like, that looks they got to be having fun. Yeah. Another thing I love is, is that ironically, you and Matt, your husband, could not be more different as artists because Matt's over there making ooze paintings. Yeah. And like yeah. intentionally, yeah, and sand, and I love Matt's work. Yeah, sanding. Um, like I have to get a matte piece at some point. Um, yeah, I feel like you have a uh, you have some some roots that you share there. Yeah, in terms of some interest visually. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah, Matt and I have some similar similar interests, definitely. And so, um, so I I just love it because in your own home, you you have like this spectrum, and you're on seemingly opposite sides, yeah. but you love a lot of the same artists. You share a similar passion. Um, was there, was there, it, was there, this is a messed up question. Was there, or is there any competition? I, Cause I don't think we've had anybody on where both folks in the relationship are, are, are artists. I mean, Matt, Matt has been, 
Matt has been working a, at a business for a little mm-hmm. while, so he's he's not working like right this second. Yeah. But I don't think he'll ever completely be done working, is my guess. I, I hope not. Yeah, he's I a, hope not too. He's he, he's phenomenal. He's a fantastic artist. I really yeah. I I really really like the work that he does. Yeah, I would love to see him do more work. Totally. Um. Yeah, because he's same here. He is fantastic. But shout out Matt. Yeah, we love <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, shout out to Matt because he is. Such a good artist. Yes. Um, shout out to State Farm. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, give Matt a, we'll give Matt a shout out. He's, he's got a State Farm yeah. office, right? Yep, yeah. right by VCU. So yep. if you need. Yeah. Look him up. He's great. <laughs> yeah, Matt Becker. If you need some insurance, give us a You need life call. insurance. <laughs> and we're doing this for free right now. We're not even getting sponsored. We're not That's being sponsored right. in. This is a free advertisement, Matt. You hear that? Um, <laughs> but uh, but seriously, is there ever is there any competition? Is there ever a point where Matt's like, "Man, Katie, no, no, no. dang he, you, no." I mean, he does joke about he would joke about like putting the vacuum cleaner in my studio. <laughs> <laughs> he would kind of make jokes like, "Oh, well, we'll just store this giant thing in your studio because it's not like." It's not like you're in there every single day right. for a couple hours working. Yeah. Go to your room and it's a closet. It's literally a closet. <laughs> but I know what picture we're putting on for the advertisement for this episode, by oh, the way. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's for a studio shot. I was going to say it's yeah, a studio yeah. shot. People have to see it. Yeah. But no, our our work is so different. But you're right. We do like all the, all the artists that he finds. Um, you know, I love the same type of work that he loves because I think we both... We both came out of the same environment. Yeah. We we both came out of art school making things kind of in the same way. Mm-hmm. And um, we just went two different paths. Yeah. You both have um, an awesome intensity about what you do because Matt's just turned his intensity on to, to just being successful at trying to make a business that yeah. actually is – like, you know, a benefit to the community and also provides opportunity for other people to have jobs. Yeah. And yeah. so, which is a massive, it's a huge deal in my mind. Um, and so I, it, when I look at you two, like I said, you're one of my favorite stories that I've got to see in full, like Laura and I and many of us, is the way you've both together approached this life. And you've just seen it grow, like from mm-hmm. scratch. Like I remember when Matt was parking cars, yeah. you know, and you're like, yeah. I mean, I, I have memories of you just being like, I don't know, like I just took, um, Cyrus on my back and started going on walks yeah. and setting up watercolor paints and painting outside, Yeah, you know? And I think like the thing that I, I mean, I think Gareth and I both were really excited about with kind of bringing you on is we've all been friends for a lot of years mm-hmm. and, um, there's a richness to your faithful faithfulness in your story that I think, um, is the kind of story that often goes unnoticed, um, because it's sort of, um, in a lot of ways, it's you persisting while taking on other responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that that story is told to students very often or aspiring artists. It's yeah. like, it's like the, the story normally is don't take on any other responsibilities mm-hmm. because then you can't be an artist. And yours is, and Matt's is, and yours is married, taking on responsibilities, loving other people, having children, and doing you know, work in a, in a way that's prolific and serious that a lot of people aren't doing and they don't have any of those responsibilities mm-hmm. and they're complaining or saying, I want to be this. And like, you know, mm-hmm. what you said kind of intensely to the point, it's very bluntly in a great way is you just got to give and do the work. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, it's like, 
for all the years of art school and the high, the theorizing and so on, at the end of the day, it's kind of like, I mean, I tell myself, I'm like, you just got to do the work. And there is people that do. I got them right now in my class. And then there's sometimes people that don't. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the thing they they have to reconcile, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, and we don't all figure it out right away, by the way, too. I mean, that's the other thing I love about your story is your work has changed and you're at peace with it such that it's actually desirable from other people. Like, where did you just show recently? You had a show. Um, I showed at the High Point in gosh, 2018. And then that same work was at current art fair 2019. Um, and it all sold, Mm -hmm. um, which was fantastic. Did not expect that at all. And, um, I was scheduled to have a show this year That's right. at the high point. And then that, um, yeah, COVID and everything else. And, um, a lot of things fell through, but then at the same time it's, that's okay because then everything in my life started, uh, you know, I had a baby, so yeah. like I couldn't really do much, anyways. Right. So it all worked out. Is High Point uh, still still doing okay, or do we? I believe COVID? so. Okay, yeah, because it was a great space. Yeah, it's that was a great a, space. That was a great day at oh, Current. Gosh. We were I was actually yes. doing a uh, critique of your work, and yeah. we're standing there, and people are buying work off the wall as we're yeah. trying to talk about it. <laughs> so we're trying to talk about it, and then it's be like, oh, that just got sold. I was yeah. like, well, we don't really have anything to talk about now because yeah. everything just got pulled off the wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll just talk in hypotheticals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It felt like that day at Current. I I had made the rounds, gone back to our booth, stayed there for a while, made the rounds again, and something felt off. And I was like, "Oh yeah, the wall of Katie's work is all gone. It's yeah. all gone." Yeah, which I think I think you were maybe the only artist in the entire fair that sold out. Yeah, very possibly. Everything. Very possibly. Um, yeah, and, and and it's for yeah. you know good reason. Yeah. Um, but what you know to what you're saying, Ryan, the thing that I really enjoy is that like. Katie, what you're talking about and the things that we've seen uh, over the last few years and how your practice has grown is that it really is an embracing of the idea of like integrating this into an actual life Mm -hmm. where very much I think we can either be very explicitly fed or just implicitly understand from those around us and influence um, that if we want to be artists, if we're serious about it, then we have to throw everything else away. Right. And that's, and that's so hard because just like your point about work, like Ryan's mentioning, I always feel like the thing that gives me uh, passion to do work is actually doing work. Mm-hmm. Like the work always inspires me to do work. Um, you know, it's, it's like anything else, like, you know, that's good for you, exercising your vegetables, whatever. Like you don't, you don't really want to do work, mm-hmm. but once you get into it, you're like, this isn't that bad. Yeah. And then you're yeah. like, oh, actually this is actually really great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like and then yesterday. it turns into you singing, I'm bad, like Michael Jackson, <laughs> but like you're meaning that's good. Yeah. Here's the thing. Exactly. I, total chance. I, I said that. I referenced that song. None of my students knew what that song was. Did so do you know Michael what I Jackson said? Was? They didn't know the song at all. And then I said, I guess I'm dating myself. <laughs> so a student goes, are you being like narcissistic, like meaning you're dating yourself? And I was like, that's such a, I guess I was like, I guess saying I'm dating myself is now dated. (laughs) I had to explain it. They didn't know what I meant. I was like, wow, (laughs) we are in a different time. That's great. Anyhow, sorry for that. But that happened yesterday. That, that really happened. And that's, uh, that's amazing. Um, (laughs) I don't even know where to go. I know. I'm sorry, Katie. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I think that's pretty good. It's a, um, I, I just don't, uh, I, I hope that students, um, come to a quicker realization of the fact that like work spurs on work. 
Um, I mean, I had this, this experience yesterday. Um, I had gotten finished with some work early. I had about 45 minutes until another meeting. So I sat down and started to do just a little bit of design on some things I've been pushing off. And then I was like, maybe I can cancel this meeting. Maybe I don't need to have, because I want to keep doing this. And then it was last night and I'm sending stuff to Ryan, just texting him uh, at, I don't even know, like nine, 10 o'clock sending you stuff. And I'm, I'm sitting at my desk going, okay, you have to go downstairs and actually hang out with your family <laughs> because you've kind of dug into this too much. And that's always been my experience with work, you know? And I think a lot of times we have these, uh, these little caveats where we say, oh, well, once I get a space, once I get some money, once mm-hmm. I get this, then I'll start. Mm-hmm. And we realize we get to there that space and we never do start. So I think, you know, spurring off of that and then jumping into like kind of where you're going from here. Um, when you started looking at places since you recently moved, mm-hmm. since when you started looking at houses, were you looking at houses with a lens to what is going to be my space? Yes. And not talking about my space. <laughs> no. <laughs> just, I mean, just I, you know, just for clarification for some of our listeners, we're not talking about the social media site that was a uh, precursor to... Um, you know, when Tom, Tom was there. Good old Tom. Good old Tom. Tom yeah. just, Tom didn't, didn't mess around with big tech. He just had a picture of him smiling. He got us going and then he just stepped out of the way. Yeah. He moved. Yeah. So we're not talking about that. Just, just to be clear. Yeah. So, uh, in terms of your space yeah. where, uh, was that a consideration and how much of a consideration actually was it in the places you looked? That was a big consideration. I mean, honestly, we only looked at one really honestly one home. And, oh wow! And it it fit everything that we wanted, but yeah, having a having a studio space was a really big deal to me. Um, and so we were in our we lived in a two bedroom apartment for seven years, um, roughly seven hundred square feet or so. That's where so that's the studio closet I was talking about, and I think part of the reason why we didn't didn't push to move or why I didn't push to move as quickly was because I knew I already had a space and Mm -hmm. I wasn't, there wasn't a chance that I would have another space to work in if we had jumped the gun and tried to have found something else. And that was a huge, like, I mean, a huge thing each time I would think about like, gosh, this, this place is getting kind of tight with, um, having kids and, and, you know, just everything like this is kind of it's starting to get difficult to live here. But then I would think like, but I have I have a space I can work mm-hmm. and I'm not I might not have that somewhere else. And yeah. and that's a I I took that very seriously. I mean, that's amazing. I, I love the fact that. Um, and again, this idea of integration, right? Like you're like, OK, I've got this small coat closet. I'm going to use it. My work is going to be influenced mm-hmm. by the space that I yep. have. Um, I'm going to steal away those hours that I have during mm-hmm. nap time or early in the morning, right? You're, you're finding the places where this can exist instead of forcing everything out in order for it to exist. And then as you move into a new phase with a different house, now you're actually talking about, well, no, my buying decisions are actually now being influenced by the way I see my practice. Yeah. So it's not, oh, let's get whatever this house is for this purpose or that purpose, and then we'll just figure it out. But it's still like so fully integrated. Um, where the spaces are are dictating so much about the work you're going to do, and I really do like. Um, I mean, I don't know which have you have you narrowed down a new space at the new house that you're going to be using. For right now, we're 
so we have a large laundry room mm-hmm. in the basement, kind of like an unfinished walkout. Um, it's it's sort of like a workshop, mm-hmm. um, but the washer and dryer's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, the previous owners used it as a you know workshop. They had a workbench and everything. So right now the goal is uh, Matt and I are going to split that space. I'm going to take one wall. He takes the other wall. So he'll have space to do whatever um, whatever it is that he wants to do, whether it's artwork or um, you know other projects, things that he's interested in. He'll have that space, and then I'll have the other space to set up work. And the hope is down the road, we've got a large enough backyard to have a, um, you know, detached studio built. So Mm -hmm. at some point we want to get a a separate space for myself. Um, But right now with with the kids being little, it's it really makes more sense to stay indoors, I think, Um, Mm -hmm. stay in the house. (laughs) Yeah. So I can keep an ear out. But uh yeah, is that, that new space is that new space comparable to the amount of space you had? It's you, you know gonna... it's it's funny it's more square footage, but I I had I had uh, shelves I had yep. you know that lined the walls on my old space where I could store everything and I don't have any shelving or anything now so you know we gotta you know do we gotta some do work. some work we gotta yeah. put up some shelving and some pegboards and um, reorganize everything so yep. that it does work because as of right now I'm like I. Everything's in boxes, more or less. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, how yeah, much yeah. is that transition yeah. going to actually affect your process? Because I'm sitting here thinking, and I'm just thinking about the intuitive way that I use the space around mm-hmm. me, and knowing where the things are on my desk. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm very particular, extremely particular. It's probably why I'm a designer, and not a painter. Um, in some ways. I was going to say something, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, please do. We're, no. we're friends, right? I know. <laughs> but the uh, I'm so I'm very particular about things. Um, uh, type A to to a fault at times. Um, so I like my things in the places where they are. I like to go to, I like it to be habitual and responsive. Mm-hmm. I like it to work that way. So how is a, what is, what do you feel like that transition? How are you anticipating that transition into a mm. new larger space with larger work that you want to do? Um, thankfully I can, I can get my, the actual, like, you know, the, the paints, the, the paint palette, the brushes, the, um, the water jar, all those things, uh, are, are easy to set up. Like I, when I have commissions and deadlines that I need to meet and we're traveling, I actually just pack up a portfolio with the work I need to do. And, and I set up shop, you know, wherever. Nice. Um, I've definitely done some paintings in, um, my in-laws RV <laughs> before to meet <laughs> deadlines. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's a wonderful picture. Yeah. It's the, it's the beauty of having deadlines, you know, going back to talking about, you know, you just need to do the work. Um, having deadlines forces you to do the work. Even in RVs. Um, even if you've got to pack everything up. So part of me says, oh, it will be easy to get set up initially, just, you know, have my desk set up and um, uh, get started on some things. But then the, the longer, you know, like I still have printmaking ink so I can do the occasional, um, monotype and things like that. Kind of getting all those. I love those too. I have one of those. Yeah. I'm excited. I want to do, I want to do more printmaking. Yeah. Once I have a bigger space looking at what type of presses I can buy. Yeah, definitely. Get back into doing more of that too but <laughs> yeah that's the goal is to then create the studio with the press yes i, I was gonna say I mean, I just, and then you start apprenticing other people yeah. <laughs> i'm getting a picture in my head and it probably looks nothing like your actual walkout looks like mm-hmm. but 
Yeah, I am. I've at least built in mentally in the space. Uh, there's some flatbed presses and some things like that. Yeah, that I definitely could be wonderful in the space. Well, definitely want that um, for sure. Yeah, I just want to encourage people because I think what we we're talking about with uh, feeling as if if you want to be an artist, you cannot have any other responsibilities because then you won't be able to do an artist. And I've actually found the opposite to be true. I've found the more responsibilities I take on, the more focused I am in making work with, and it gives me a greater intensity to create uh, with that limited time, with a limited space. And so it's uh, just that whole, I grew up with that whole notion of if, if you want to be an artist, especially if you're a woman and if you want to be an artist, then you, you better not have kids. And if you do have kids, you better wait until your career is firmly established and you're having kids later in life. You're not having kids when you're young. And I have found the opposite to be true that, um, in fact, getting married and having a family is, gave me the momentum and the clarity and the focus in order to, make work that and it, it to an intensity and to a degree that I did not have before those things happened. So the more responsibilities that I, I seem to uh, acquire in life, the it's almost like that's, there's more of a urgency to make work. And that urgency was not there before. Mm. That That's, I mean, that hits close to home for me. Um, I know like an expanse of time, I felt like always made me the least productive person mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. Like if I have a ton of time, like I'm just not getting down to it. Um, yeah, kids took up a lot of time, and so it changed that. But I think another thing that's nice about that, um, one of the reasons I love what you're saying, um, is not just because we don't hear that coming through school. We don't hear that you can have a life and art can be a part of it. We just hear your life has to be art. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I love about it is like, if I have a phone call with a client and they just like ream me out for something that didn't happen right or a deadline wasn't met or whatever it was, like if it's just me in an apartment and I hang up that phone, like that's my whole day. That's it. My world is just rocked. But if I hang up that phone now in the life I have, I can look over and see my kid like reading a book, having a good time with something super simple. And like it, it gives perspective to mm-hmm. my work. It gives perspective to my space. Mm-hmm. And that's that's hugely helpful and influential and actually makes it easier for me to jump back into those spaces where like hurt or failure or fear exist because it doesn't loom as large. And that never happened before, like you said, increased mm-hmm. responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I mean I'm I'm a huge proponent of that. Like, you know, like I think yeah, it just yesterday my students were like, You're always doing something. And I was like, yeah, like, you know, but also I've been around a little while. So like you, time's not flat. Um, and I still got time that I'm wasting, you know, like, so, um, we're not machines, but with more responsibility, you, I love what you said. You get, you actually gain focus. Mm -hmm. And that's all I found is like, I stepped in the opposite direction of a lot of what I was told by my professors and some of my mentors. And, uh, I I don't know. It's like, it, it hasn't, um, so here's the thing. It's like what you, what you said, Gareth. You said, you know, I, I can look over at my kids. Like if you're if your work's not everything, then you know, I got I got friends, I got kids, I got neighbors. I yeah, mean, so many just be kids. Yeah, yeah, so many things, right? But wh- what I was gonna say is, people hear that and they think you're saying that somehow that means the work you do is has to by default be diminished. 
Right. And yeah. uh, I'm just not convinced that the work that, you know, I've, I mean, just like you, Katie or Gareth, like, like nothing in the work I've done seems to show that it's diminished. So it's not like my work in and of itself is less serious because of these factors. So it's not a trade-off per se. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what you're saying is like, I mean, my life right this second, I think you would say the same thing. We all would like for me, I mean, I have two graduate degrees. So the one thing that gets me is um, what I do now shows how little, like I didn't use my grad school time well. And I actually yeah, was thought of as one of one of the more productive people in grad school. Yeah. So that's the irony is I actually was thought of as someone who actually was more productive. Possibly I was, but as it stands now, I'm like, dude, I, I was, um, I've always been sort of productive. Mm-hmm. And so even saying that, I'm like, I, but I wasn't though. Like I could have been, there's so many things I could have been cultivating. I could have been con- cultivating a more of a professional practice. I could have been preparing for life after school. Like I could have been um, more intentional mm-hmm. with my time. I think it's intentionality was missing. And so idle time uh, was not being filled with anything intentional. And then I come to make my work, you know? And so I wasn't really preparing for my future, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, but the truth, but the truth is with intentionality, which I don't want to overstate, but intentionality and um, reason and purpose, it, uh, it helps to eliminate those meandering questions that are really just about being idle. Yeah. You know, they're not really, really, you're not really thinking about this too hard. And I think that's part of the whole like coming in and making you question everything eats up a lot of your time. And a lot of my time was eaten up considering other people's questions, which were like an hazing effect of being in school. Mm-hmm. And it's regrettable, but what can you do? You know, I, I went through it and you know, I can't go back now. Yeah. Um, but stories like mm-hmm. yourself need to be t- uh, like what Katie's sharing, I think ha- needs to be broadcasted loudly because like I always say, you can't choose what you haven't seen before. Or heard before is is oftentimes um, it's muted out, you know, and so what you're left with is the same old, same old, same old tropes, same old ideas, and so um, yeah, I hope people are listening to, to what you said uh, coming from coming from you directly, you know. Yeah, it's hugely um, important. Um, I had a student one semester, you know, and we can we can wrap up with this if we want, but the uh, every semester I ask the same question uh, early on in one of my courses. I say, you know, work is hard, so why do we do it? Mm-hmm. Like just yeah. real simple. And every semester, you know, we get, you get kind of the same answers, right? You're like, Oh, well, we need to make a living or work is important to the careers we want. You know, all the things that you would expect to hear. But one year, like the whole conversation got derailed because in the class, I, I set aside about 15, 20 minutes for this part of the discussion. And in 30 seconds, this person shut it down entirely. Like nobody answered anything else. Mm-hmm. I had no response because the person said, what else are we supposed to do? And I was like, uh, <laughs> good point. Because mm-hmm. it's all work, right? But it's what What do you want to do? Like, what work do you actually want to have, mm-hmm. right? What is the life you want to build? Because I think a lot of times, to your point, Ryan, we can be just kind of in a space of homeostasis. Mm-hmm. And then we wake up 10 years mm-hmm. later and we're like, what the crap? Homeostasis was not a rapper from the 90s, by the way. <laughs> That's such a just making sad. sure we're not. I'm just trying to make sure we're not worst MC good. ever. Yeah, <laughs> yo, homeostasis. <laughs> Turn me up in the headphones. Yeah. So the uh, but yeah, it's like you know, homeostasis <laughs> and static cling. This rap duo. 
<laughs> so, so, I mean, it's, I, I think that it's one of those things to keep in mind is like, you're going to be doing that work, right? Are you stealing away those hours? Are you, are you curating your spaces mm-hmm. in your life? Are you surrounding yourself with the responsibilities and relationships that actually enable that to flourish? Are you knowing people and being known by mm-hmm. people to such an extent where that can happen? Or are you sitting here kind of uh, choking down the Kool-Aid and saying, if I just leave everything out of my life, I'll finally be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I know, I know I'm the guy who's always the, the blunt one that's probably saying it with a little less polish than I should, but I'm happy to fill that role. Um, but I think it should be hugely encouraging hearing conversations like this, no matter where you are in life, um, that uh, there's, there's always space, whether it's a four by five closet. Yeah, there, even, even just a little sketchbook. I mean, you've got, you really, to be blunt, you really don't have an excuse. Um. No, no, I went from, I went from the, I mean, I've said it before, but it's, I went from the biggest grad studio at VCU in the painting department. I had the biggest space and I was making 15 foot sculptures and eight foot paintings and, and small, I mean, I was making all, I mean, it was jam packed like a pack rat in there. And then I had to move that into a one bedroom apartment. Mm. It was Laura, like I had no studio. And so we had to make curtains to hide stuff in my living room. So it was all, it was very strange, but we did our best to make it look like there wasn't a pile of junk in the back, which was my studio. And so, yeah, I had a fold out card table and I was like, well, I only, I don't have any money. We're having a kid and, uh, I can't do these shows I had in Texas and New York and Philadelphia. So I'm going to have to just like figure it out. So I had some old panels built and, uh, you know, made a couple new ones and then was like, I got a couple colors and I'm going to let, I don't got a car. I can't afford to ship any more stuff. I can't. So I'm like, I'm going to make things that are record size that are like, I can hold like a skateboard, you know, that can slide in the back of my friend's car and that fit on the table. And so, and I'm going to use three colors, black and white and yellow. And that's how I started making Mm -hmm. the work that I now make that actually got me the most out of my whole experience as an artist. So it started with a desk. My desk was the new constraint. Yeah. And that was coming from the biggest studio that VCU had, which was an incredible studio. I mean, you know. It's almost like constraints help. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I'm trying. I mean, now I got a, I've got an even better studio that's mine in my house, in, in my backyard, in my detached. But that's many years later. You know, yeah, that's yeah. a decade later, um, which in, grand, in hindsight, it's not that, not that long ago. More, more than a decade. Sorry. That would be, yeah. Yeah, a couple of years over. But that's not a long time. And, but the work that happened on that little desk was everything. It was the catalyst. Yeah. You know, like it's strange. It's strange. Like, and so it's, it parallels your own story. Like, yeah. and that was a work that was like showing up on European blog sites and stuff. I was like, this is so weird. Like I tried so hard and nothing clicked. And then the stuff I'm making at a little desk without a studio, it was very convicting. It was like, I didn't need all that stuff. <laughs> no. I mean, now I do, <laughs> but I mean, I have a different perspective <laughs> yeah. though. Right, right. You know, I could, yeah. you know, you I could use work it well it. now. I can use it well now. I get it. I get it. And uh, so the constraints are a, a desirable thing. It's it's a good thing. Yeah. And so I think, yeah. I think, I guess what I would say is I think every, wherever you're at, to your point, Katie and Gareth, is like, look at your have nots as a blessing that serve as a mold to form what you can make. Yeah. So what don't you have and what are you left with? And if you can work from that point of view, you might make some of the most remarkable work mm-hmm. you've, you've ever made. Yeah. It may be the work that actually makes you, you know, in that sense. Yeah. I mean, another, another question I always ask in the class is uh, what's more important, what we have or what we need. Um, 
And it's it's interesting hearing the like the, it's like the conversation like naturally evolves. Mm-hmm. So students will start out and they're like, oh well, the the things you need because that's just the space they're in, right? It's like mm-hmm. everything's after graduation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it even as they talk, it's almost like they're convincing themselves otherwise. Mm-hmm. Where they're like, yeah, but I'm, but I I'm, I've got this stuff though. I mean, yeah. I could probably I could probably do something with this. And then it's like, yeah, I think looking at what you mm-hmm. do have instead of focusing on the negative of what you don't have yeah. like mm-hmm. it's always helpful like i love that you know three i would think that a lot of artists probably have something in their in their backpack of stories with that like three colors of paint mm-hmm. and that was my constraint a four by five closet that was my constraint you know the fact that my uh, computer would only run this one program and i couldn't run these others so i made this sort of stuff like those constraints are there right mm-hmm. um so I think it's it's fantastic to think about how they do influence yeah. uh, in that space. Yeah. Yeah, Jack Risley told me once to turn my de- my creative deficits into the strongest part of my work. So I wasn't a sculptor, but I was making these sculptures, and like there were things that I didn't know in the way I was joining stuff together. And he's like, don't hide those, because in hiding them, you're it's weakening their, their effect. And um, to anybody who knows, they can tell. He's yeah. like, but so, so flip it on its head, turn it, turn your deficit into a part of the work. It's yeah. like one thing that I remember, I mean, I love Jack Risley. He was great. He's phenomenal. Shout out to Jack. But so like him saying that was just like galvanizing. So it like, it like, it fits into this idea. It's like, we're often trying to hide the things that we're not as sharp with or there yet or what we don't have. And it's like, if you flip the mindset, yeah. you know, it's like, I always say, wherever you're Op, op, your uh, problem is your opportunity is there. I call it opportunity. Like that's your problem opportunity. So mm-hmm. it's the same mindset. It's like seeing those as the concise or precise opposite uh, uh, opportunity. And, um, and then, you, but then you have to step into it. You actually have to then do what you're saying, Katie, which is you just step in and do the work. Mm-hmm. And that's where I would want to drive home the point that the work then becomes the affirmation that you need to continue it. That's the only way you get that affirmation, by the way. Yeah, you get it through the making of the work, and the completion of the work affirms that it should have been made, such that you do it again. Mm. And then, when it becomes repetitious, it becomes easier to pick pick back up. And before you know it, you've got a body of work, and lo and behold, opportunities start to show up because now you're you have a surplus of what you've made to share with other people. Yeah. You can't put the cart before the horse on that. So it it, it it's so that. It's just that you got it. It's just, I mean, you want to know how to do it. It starts that it starts just like that. Mm-hmm. It really yeah. does. I mean, a secret to a long career, right? Is uh, do work, finish work, repeat. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, almost nothing else. Yeah. A little luck thrown in maybe. Yeah. Some luck <laughs> knowing some people, the know and be known thing is really important. I mean, I, um, but, uh, you tend to not want to know for, <laughs> this is going to sound messed up, but <laughs> when someone never makes anything, but yeah. they, act like they're a maker Mm. makers start to smell it and then they're like you're still in my time away yeah so the naivete part is is definitely something you know that but the making conquers that you know the making just lays things bare you know if i see what you make i know where you're at yeah you see what i make you know where i'm at and and then we decide what we want what we will but when there's the making which you know we're talking about designers and makers right now Mm -hmm. like from that I think there's just loving people and being charitable and that kind of thing in general. But in, but in particular to, to making, it's like when you're actually doing it, um, then there's something to talk about. There's, something, there's a reason to know each other. Yeah. 
True. You know, so. Well, so yeah. in that whole line of know and be known. So, uh, Katie, where can people find you? Where can they see your work? And where can they uh, wait Virginia. with bated breath uh, for in commissions Virginia, to open in 2021? One woman braves Richmond alleys <laughs> to conquer the grime. Well, <laughs> yeah, with my kids in tow. With my kids in tow. <laughs> Yeah. With a with, band of children. With, with the children. <laughs> My son, actually, he, and, and it's sad because there's, there's not, we'll see how the work changes. There's not too many alleys where we moved. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a little sad. Uh, but but uh, you got a bunch of foliage. Yeah. Lot, lots so. of trees. I'm excited about. <laughs> We'll see what happens, but um, my my son would actually be like, "No, mom, like, let's go down this alley. Like, I don't want to walk on the sidewalk. Let's explore this spot over here." That's instead. awesome. Yeah, that's great. So he, <laughs> that's super cool. <laughs> but um, shout out to Cyrus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, katiebecker.com. That's K-A-T-Y Becker. And then Instagram's where I'm most active. So you're going to find up-to-date stuff on Instagram. And that's Katie double underscore Becker. Awesome. Yep. Do it today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and honestly, like, if, if you're one of these folks that have really been urged on by us over the last couple of years to start a collection and you don't really know where to start, well, then you've got a few months until commissions reopen in 2021 for you to uh, put aside a little cash. Mm-hmm. And get yourself a Katie Becker original because it's fantastic. It's beautiful work. Please check her work out. Um, as always, like we like to say at the end of every one of these episodes, we love you guys. You're a fantastic audience. Thanks for joining us, and we will catch you next time. See ya. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle.